you are now tuned in to the Storm Tracker Podcast. All right, Storm Tracker Podcast here. I am Marcus Benjamin here with my guy, Frank Tucker, representing for CanesCounty.com, part of the Rivals Network. And Frank, finally, it's over. The Cormani McLean saga is done. Dunzo. We don't have to talk about it. Well, we got to talk about it once we hit once he hits the field. And 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 you know, Canes fans will definitely talk about this whole situation. But finally, it comes to an end out of nowhere. I, I don't think a lot of people saw it coming to an end last night, but it did. Uh, but a lot of speculation about him going to Colorado, including from us, is finally true or comes to fruition. He's headed to Boulder with Coach Prime. I uh, can't blame him too much to be, I guess, you know, taught by the greatest to ever do it at his position. But for me, it's kind of the way that this all happened, Frank. It's it's really just the fact that he was throwing up the U all the time and saying he was committed to Miami. I think that kind of rubs, you know, myself and, and a lot of people kind of the wrong way about the situation. I'm happy for him. Finally found a place to, uh, you know, go and spend his college years. He's an outstanding talent. He's a good kid. I think uh, once you once you speak to him, um, but uh, the what the optics, the way that this looked, not good in the eyes of Hurricanes fans. But I'm certainly glad it's over. Yeah, I think everybody's glad it's over. You look online uh, on Twitter, Canes fans are are saying finally, finally it's done. Right, you pulled the bandaid off. You got the bad news out of the way. It, it doesn't stretch out until the signing day period. Uh, I think the big thing for for Cormani was who was going to be coaching him at either Colorado or Miami. And we know that there was a lot of speculation that DeMarcus Van Dyke was either going to be leaving the program or, or he was going to be not on the field, right, uh, over the course of the last month or so. And I think that was a huge reason why Cormani ended up choosing Colorado. He knows that he's going to be developed by Deion Sanders. And he knows that Deion Sanders is going to bring in an excellent defensive back coach, right, and, and do the things needed to make sure that him and Travis Hunter are going to be potential first-round draft picks, right? NIL was definitely a factor. I think Miami made sure everything was crossed, uh, you know, in regards to the T's and dotting the I's. Um, but it, it just really boiled down to Mario not putting DeMarcus Van Dyke on the field, not splitting the defensive back room. And I think that's the most disappointing part for me. Right. I, I, he's a 18 year old kid. I'm not going to reflect too much on his decision and blame him for my, for for not going about the process the right way. He's still a kid at the end of the day. But I, I think the adults in this situation, right, his family, his circle probably could have advised him to go about this better. And I think that Mario could have went about this better in regards to how he handled the Demarcus Van Dyke situation, because from what we've been told, Cormani was promised that that was going to be his guy when he came to Miami. He was not going to be put in a position where he was going to be lied to. <laughs> he was not going to be in a Jaden Rashada situation where he was signing to the University of Miami and then backtracking on that decision. He wasn't doing that, and I don't blame him for it, right? If you're promised something, you deserve to get it, especially if you're the number one cornerback in the country and overall 
the number one non-quarterback in the country. So it, it happens. We, we ripped the Band-Aid off, and here we are. Yeah, here we are. Uh, I I think it's a it's a weird situation to promise a kid uh, that a certain coach is going to be your coach if you're not going to follow through with it. If that's if that's if that was the case, then you should have followed through with it. Um, I don't see any reason why DVD shouldn't be the DV uh, defensive backs coach along with Jamil Adai. Um, I don't know. Maybe there was some kind of agreement between Cristobal and Adai saying that he was going to be the sole guy. Who knows? But I don't see any reason why you don't promote DVD. Uh, he's definitely shown that he's a top-notch recruiter, and he is a guy that that kids resonate with, that people resonate with. I mean, he he's just someone that is really valuable uh, to this team and, and especially when it comes to recruiting in South Florida. So what you're risking now though, is you're risking losing a guy like DVD uh, because of this whole situation and, and just, you know, just not promoting him at all. I mean, if you didn't want to promote him because of Cormani, I guess, but now I'm sure DVD thinks that he's worth a defensive backs job somewhere or that he can get a job and, and, uh, and really kind of elevate his career. Um, I, I, I think anyone who is in, in his position as a defensive analyst played for the U and has been recruiting at a top notch level thinks that he can, you know, take his career to the next level. So, you know, do do you risk this, man? Uh, well, I mean, it's not even a question. They are risking losing DVD right now, and I'm not sure it's worth it. It's not. It's not. And the crazy part to me is this guy's been a defensive backs coach before. He was an on-field coach under Manny Diaz that got demoted when Mario Cristobal came to hire Jamil Adai, right? And and I think Jamil Adai deserves a ton of credit on how he's helped develop the likes of Cam Kinchins, right? And, and even James Williams didn't look terrible at times this year. They were, he had some bright spots, right? But there's still that inconsistency. I don't think that's really on coaching too much. I think that's James being out of position a little bit. But I think he's done an excellent job with the back end. I think that maybe there needs to be some new life at the cornerback coaching spot, right? I think maybe that's where they can mix in together. Um, you know, and, and unfortunately, it doesn't seem like they're going to be going down that path. Um, so if they lose DeMarcus Van Dyke, they will be losing a large portion of the 2024 prospects that could potentially be Miami Hurricanes this time around next year. Um, and, and that's a huge, that's a huge loss, right? Like we talk to kids on a constant basis and the one name that they always mention is not Mario Cristobal. The only time Alex Maribal is mentioned is usually if it's an offensive lineman, Right. None of the defensive line coaches, Joe Salavea sometimes, Charlie Strong, I don't think I've ever heard a kid really talk about him, right? It's to Marcus Van Dyke. It's Van Dyke, the relationships with the seven-on-seven seven programs, right? The relationships with the inner cities of Miami, right? A guy that has done this before as an NFL draft pick, right? A guy that did this at the University of Miami, ran a record-breaking time uh, at the NFL Combine, right? Like, he's just one of those guys that, has done it, has the pedigree of recruiting at a high level, um, and, and relates to the kids in a way that 
a lot of the older head coaches aren't able to. Uh, it, he's known so many of these kids from coaching in the little league ranks, right? Yeah. Helping develop these kids when they were younger prospects, right? And, and and has just continued to build that relationship. So if you lose the Marcus Van Dyke, especially to an ACC school, right? You're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is uh, the CanesCounty.com podcast, Storm Tracker podcast, and Marcus Benjamin and Frank Tucker weighing in on this whole Cormani McLean situation and also Demarcus Van Dyke, who was instrumental in getting Cormani McLean to commit to Miami. So, yeah, it, it's definitely valuable to keep him on this uh, coaching staff. But we've already lost Frank Ponce uh, this week. Um, and uh, Frank Ponce, you know, for, for me, quarterback, the quarterback position probably was one of the worst last season. Uh, just from watching on, on the, you know, the, the play on the field. And, and uh, I'm not, I'm not surprised that Frank Ponce uh, went back to Appalachian state one bit. And the fact that he went back as an offensive coordinator as well. So kind of a promotion for him. So now you, you, there's a spot open for the, the quarterbacks coach that uh, Miami does need to fill. And we've heard na uh, a name like James Coley. I heard Scott Frost is, is totally out as a possibility, not going to happen. But um, where do you think they go here as far as quarterbacks coach to, re to replace Frank Ponce? I don't know if we're going to see a replacement until we get a resolution at this offense coordinator spot with Josh Gaddis, right? I, I think that they got to figure out what they're going to do there. I really don't see anything happening until after the signing day, the last signing day period. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a bumpy ride on the offensive side of the ball for a little bit, um, and and they got to figure it out right after signing day, right? Because you got spring coming up, right? You have to get everybody ready to go for the spring, so we're not looking like we did last year offensively. Now I think that. The reason that you got to wait until that signing day, right? Maybe not long after, but wait to that signing day is because if Gaddis is not your offense coordinator, you want to bring in an offense coordinator that's also a quarterback coach, right? That, that's typically where you see the quarterback coaches. You don't have a guy coaching receivers and calling the plays and then having another guy coach the quarterbacks. That has to be an in-sync relationship. And at the beginning of last year, Tyler Van Dyke spoke about it himself that he didn't even really get into groove with his offensive coordinator in regards to watching film until what was it like week three, week four? Right. That that's a huge disconnect. Yeah. We know he had a relationship with Ponce. He said that him and him and Ponce were working together pretty extensively, but there wasn't that relationship with Gaddis, and that's a huge problem, right? And I think that's part of the reason Jake Garcia left, and now we're seeing him potentially go to Missouri to the SEC where he is going to have a chance to start. He's extremely talented. We know that he was one of the top quarterbacks in the country when he was coming out of high school. He was supposed to be the savior of the program, and now he's going to be doing that for somebody else. And, and it's unfortunate to see because now you're sitting at three quarterbacks on the roster. Jakari Brown, we still need to see some development. Peyton Matocha, right? Like, 
what are we, you know, it, we're, we're back to square one at offensively, right? Now, I think that they've done a ton of work in regards to fixing the trenches. They, they, they have completely overhauled the offensive line through the transfer portal, five guys in the 2023 class, many of them elite. But you have to have the quarterback situation right. Thank God DVD came back for another year and didn't transfer to like a Notre Dame. Thank God we were able to get two of the best running backs in the country in the 2023 class with Henry Parrish coming back. Um, it, it's I, I'm I'm skeptical that they're going to be able to get this offense right as soon as next season. It seems like it's just more and more rebuild for Mario Cristobal. Yeah, I agree. And for fans who think that this this team is just going to turn around like a TCU. I I am on the side of uh pessimism. If 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 um if you're thinking that uh, I just I just don't think it's realistic um at this point because we've seen that TVD really really is I don't want to say injury prone, but he had an injury last season that he was dealing with. So you know God forbid he has another injury uh, this upcoming season, but if he does, then you, you're going to Jakari Brown, who we saw still has to develop. I mean, yeah, we, we still have spring and we still have fall uh, to develop. And currently right now we don't have a, a quarterback's coach and there's a lot of questions about this offensive coordinator, but let's talk about this OC man, uh, Josh Gaddis. I mean, uh, lately he hasn't been present. He, he hasn't been tagged on a lot of these offers um, that, that are that are going out. Uh, interesting to see if he'll be present uh, this weekend at Elite Prospect Day. Most of the fan base is out on Josh Gaddis for good reason. The offense was historically bad last season with a couple of games where they uh, couldn't score touchdowns. The consecutive quarters with no touchdown scores, albeit it was with backup uh, quarterbacks like Jake Garcia, no longer with the team and, and Jakar Brown, but still, it's still no excuse to not score at a uh, consistent pace in today's college football. Um, I think most people think that it's a contract situation where if he does indeed stay, they don't want to, have to pay uh, for a, a year where he's not even going to coach. They they want to see that play out and really kind of see what goes on there. Uh, that definitely could be the case, or he he might be gone in a, in, in a couple of weeks or or a couple or you know maybe a month because it hasn't been a full year actually when he's been hired. He was hired in February. Uh, like the first week or or so in February. So maybe we see a change at that time. Overall, I, I just think, uh, I think Gaddis, uh, it's, it, it's, it's hard to say that he has earned uh, another year based on what we've seen last season. But what, what I did hear from a, from a source uh, very close to the situation is that he was ill or, or sick. And that's the reason why he is unable to, to kind of be around the program right now. If that is indeed the case, I hope he, you know, is 
you know, okay and recovering or, or whatnot, or um, maybe he is, you know, this is all speculation, but uh, we have heard and uh, somewhat reported that we've hear that he's interviewing at different places. Uh, we've heard Penn State, we've heard Iowa. Maybe he is going back to the Big Ten. Uh, it could be could be a possibility because you know you, you just kind of never know you know what could happen. Um, but uh, just overall, Frank, uh, your thoughts on on offensive the offensive coordinator position? Should they go in a different direction? And are you buying any of this information that you're hearing about Josh Gaddis? I'm definitely buying the information. It, it, it seems like when there's smoke, there's fire, especially in the coaching ranks of college football, right? When there's interview, when there's suspected interviews, usually those are happening. And, you know, I know he has a pretty good relationship with James Franklin at Penn State. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go there. But if I was Mario Cristobal, which I'm not, but if I was, I would be giving Josh Gaddis another year. I, I would be buying into him. He was one of the best assistant coaches in college football at multiple different spots, right? This wasn't a one-year wonder thing at Michigan. He was a wide receivers coach at Alabama that helped develop some of the best receivers in college football and guys that ended up being first-round draft picks in the NFL. We've seen him do it before. It was a tumultuous first season at the University of Miami for Gaddis, but we also have to look at it from the lens where there was that one point in the year where he had six healthy offensive linemen and many of them were guys that probably shouldn't have been on the field from a physical and mental standpoint. It, it, it was tough for him, right? Jalen Knighton had his issues this year. Henry Parrish wasn't healthy for the majority of the time. Trevante Citizen gets lost in the first scrimmage. It, the, the receiver room banged up throughout the year's suspensions. It, you know, Colby Young, guy that doesn't come in until like July. Right. So I've, I'm super excited about Colby Young this year. You got me hyped up about that. <laughs> you got me hyped up. I'm, I'm bought in. I'm on I'm on the train. Um, but it, it's for me, I, I think Gaddis is a very good coach. And I think if we lose him to a school like Iowa, I think we'll see him pay off at, for Iowa. Right. I think he would do really well. Um, I think fans are quick to pull the trigger on coaches. Um, and, and I think we're at the age because of social media and, and and because of the numbers of college football offensively that we expect 35 to 40 points a game, no matter who the offense coordinator is. But it's just not that simple, right? Personnel matters. Uh, culture matters. Quarterback play matters. It, it, all those things were against Gaddis this season. And I think he's kind of being the scapegoat for a five and seven season when he really wasn't all his fault. And, you know, I've spoke to a lot of high school coaches that still have a lot of respect for Josh Gaddis because when you really break down the film, it wasn't always the play calling it was, that was the issue. It was a lot of execution. And we saw the players talk about that in press conferences that it, it's not on the coaches when we don't execute, right? Kevin Steele was, was a perfect example of that. Cam Kitchens said at the end of the year that you can't blame the, the coordinators and the play callers if guys are in the wrong spot, they're not communicating, and they're not doing what they need to do. So if it was me, I'm giving Gaddis one more year. Yeah, and I actually agree with you, man. I agree with you 100. percent But I'm going to be on the side of, of of fans and 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 really kind of question it, it all. With um, so basically what what we're saying is that Manny Diaz left this 
team in shambles, right? Like they, uh, that coaching staff couldn't have done any better. Or if this, if this was uh, Manny Diaz given another year, they would have had the same season or worse season, which is what a lot of fans would speculate that is not true. Um, you know, so I think many people think if Red Lashley was still the offensive coordinator of this team, that they would win more games, score more touchdowns. TVD, Jake Garcia wouldn't have such a regression that we've seen. So is that really the case that Manny Diaz recruited on such a bad level and left the team in such a disarray that that's, that's what happened here. And it's not the coaches. It's totally on, on the players and the fact that, you know, they they weren't executing the plays better. I mean, the, the season before, it wasn't that terrible as far as I, definitely on the offensive side of the board uh, or, or side of the field. And uh, on defense, they were giving up big plays, but it didn't seem like it was at the consistency as it, as it was uh, in the previous season. So plus just playing devil's advocate here. So if I were to explain exactly what happened here, based on what you just said, Manny Diaz's recruits are what's the problem here. I think the recruits, the, the lack of culture, right? Like, so everybody wants to compare TCU to Miami, right? Both, both teams, uh, you know, had new head coaches, right? And had rough seasons the season prior. TC was five and seven. What people don't understand is Gary Patterson had built a culture over the course of like 15 years at TCU. They were continuously in, in New Year's six bowls. They were a 10-win team almost on a yearly basis until the end. There, there was a plan in place. Like there was an ability to put a plan in place at TCU that there wasn't at Miami. And there's a reason that they hired Mario Cristobal and not a Sonny Dykes and not a and not a Lincoln Riley, right? They they brought in a guy who they felt was going to overhaul the program and not a play caller, right? And and I think everybody's like, oh, we should have got a Lincoln Riley. We saw what Lincoln Riley did against Tulane, right? It, this was USC with NIL ability, right? They brought in elite transfers. Caleb Williams wins the Heisman. Jordan Addison is one of the best receivers in college football. Mario Williams was one of the best receivers in his class. We've seen what he was able to do in high school, right? He came in this year, had a solid year. They have talent around him at USC. And then he goes and loses to the team that had the biggest comeback in the history of college football, right? Yeah, so but they were in the game, though, man. I, they, they were, were in, in the, the game. Bowl, which is a power, uh, you know, a group of five uh, bowl. Like, it's just – All I'm saying I mean, is – The fact that they were there, they were in contention to win the Pac-12. They certainly had a better season. They produced a Heisman, uh, you know, trophy. I mean, come on, man. Like, uh, to, to blame it on Tulane, especially against our guy, Michael Pratt. Come on, man. I, all Pratt. I'm saying is – all I'm saying is, right, that at the end of the day, all that matters is championships, right? And but they Mario Cristobal a championship in that game, so like. But I, my I, thing is, my thing is that Mario Cristobal is following a pattern that guys like Nick Saban have have laid, right? This is a road that has been. It's a proven method, right? You build a culture, right, and then you recruit from the trenches out. 
Mario Cristobal is doing just that, right? And unfortunately, I, I think that the wrong guys are getting the blame here. Does Gaddis deserve some of the blame? Absolutely. The red zone woes we've talked about to exhaustion, right? Where where we're like, well, what do you? What's up with the play call, right? It's it's very simple as soon as it gets inside the twenty. But for me, when you're relying on a different quarterback on every week, on a different week, right? Your offensive line is in shambles from the start of the year. Your projected first round pick, left tackle, plays just what two game, two full games on the year, right? Your 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 potential Heisman winning quarterback loses 1,800 yards receiving or more um, from from graduation or guys leaving to the NFL. And we saw him regress from losing the Mike Harleys and, and, and the Rambos of the world. It, it, it wasn't the same. And it ended up being Will Mallory was our number one receiver this year. That's a huge problem. And again, part of that's on Gaddis. He's the wide receivers coach. Where was the development for the Romello Brentons of the world and guys like that? But Still, I don't think it was a fireable offense. Uh, you know what happened this season. I don't think that. I don't think that being handed a bag of trash and not turning it into a diamond is is a fireable offense. Now, I think that this year is a make or break year for Josh Gaddis and the entire offensive staff, right? And I think that you can start the honeymoon starts to kind of fade away this season for Mario Cristobal, even though it probably already has for a lot of fans. Yeah. I still think that it's the first year. It's the first year. Nick Saban lost to UL Lafayette, their first year at Alabama, right? It, it, it happens. They went seven and five, seven and six, his first year at Alabama, right? It, it, it happens. It's a process. This is a building of a program. This is not, a, right? If they win eight games this year, people need to be happy, right? Because it's a, it's, it's a progression. You want to see a progression, right? And and listen, Nick Saban did win like 11 games his second season. I don't see that happening just because I don't know if if he has – I love TBD, right? I think that some of the sparkle has kind of fell off of him, but I still think he's a good quarterback. I don't think that he's a quarterback that's winning any double-digit games without an elite defense yet. I don't think Miami's going to have an elite defense like Bama had as soon as Nick Saban started building it up. But I think that – the pieces are in place for the next three to four years, things to look really good, right? You're going to have the trenches. Speaking You're going to have guys pieces, like that. Speaking of those pieces, though, um, he is the wide receivers coach, and we don't have any wide receivers uh, being <laughs> recruited right now. So that's the other argument with Josh Gaddis. Like, um, we got Robbie and Bobby because I mean Robbie and Ray Ray because you know hometown kids see the wave, um, and you know other other factors involved. I don't think it was a lot of necessarily Josh Gaddis uh, recruiting those guys, but we don't have any other receivers. We obviously you know you talked about Kobe Young. Yes, we're getting Restrepo. Uh, back our number one, our you know number one, I guess you could say, um, with uh, you know a couple other pieces like Ladson, but you need another receiver, right? Uh, especially from this transfer portal, they were supposed to um, get a couple uh, this uh, this cycle. Ante Thornton, you know, fell by the wayside. 
Uh, now it looks like maybe they're going to lose out on Gary Bryant as well. From what I hear, uh, he's a UCLA lean at this point. So, and he wasn't present for Gary Bryant's visit. So that is kind of like the other thing that fans are mad about with Gaddis is the fact that he hasn't uh, shown that he's bringing in any receivers. So what is your clap back to that? My clap back is there is no clap back to that. He has definitely <laughs> failed on recruiting outside talent. Um, but I also look at it. They, they listen. Colby Young's got another year to develop. Jacoby George is going to be another year older. Xavier Estrepo is going to be a guy that is, you know what he's going to do. The Braxton Berrios of this team. Frank Ladson is going to be solid this year. All right. Not, not spectacular. There, there's some talent there, man. It's not, it's not all, you know, doom and gloom, but you're hundred percent right. He's got to be able to recruit receiver talent. This is going to be a huge year for it. being able to get guys like Josiah Trader and Jeremiah Smith are going to pay off, uh, you know, in regards to his view with the fans, right? You got South Florida kids that are being recruited by the Alabamas, the Ohio States, or if you can beat those teams out the same way Alex Maribel and Mario Cristobal did on the offensive line, then people are going to start to see you in a positive light as a recruiter. We'll see if he's able to do it. If not, I, I am definitely disappointed that the Dante Thorntons of the world didn't commit, that we heard that they were pretty much locks, right? Nice. You miss out on the Andrew Armstrongs of the world. It, it, it's yeah. tough, right? It's tough. And we're seeing Alonzo Highsmith doing more work with receivers than pretty much anybody else on our staff, which is, that's that's the more disappointing thing for me. But – my clapback is he has proven at different spots to be able to recruit elite receivers. Jalen Brown almost committed to Michigan while he was at Michigan because of his relationship with him, right? And I, so I think that's a huge – like that's a South Florida kid that was an elite kid that we wanted at Miami, right? And he was a Michigan lean at one point because of Josh Gaddis. So I think right now the view on him just because of how the offense sputtered this season is – down in recruiting but if they start off hot at the beginning of the year things start off a little bit smoother with tbd then i think you, you start to see more positive regression uh with with the with the receiver recruiting all right let's let, let, let's hope so i mean let's hope so let's hope that happens and that we get a receiver or he just works with what he has he's definitely going to be on the hot seat this season and I hope he does well. I mean, I like, I like him uh, as, as a person. I, I think he's, he's a good guy. I think he can turn things around despite what the fan base may think. So we're, we're going to move on here. The, it is the storm tracker podcast, canescounty.com part of the rivals network here. And we've got a big weekend coming up. Battle Miami, seven on seven, huge seven on seven tournament coming up. All the big teams around the country are going to be playing in South Florida. And that means all of the top players, especially at the wide receiver, defensive back, and quarterback position, will be in South Florida. And what that also means is that many of these players will be visiting 
the University of Miami this weekend for their Elite Prospect Day. We are updating a list uh, daily on canescounty.com with hundreds of players uh, that will uh, visit Miami. There's a ton of guys on that list, man. I don't know how they're going to really manage it all. I heard it was kind of a kind of a clusterfuck last last season, um, but we'll we'll see um, how they kind of organize it all. They do have it broken up into three sessions uh, where uh, they're breaking up in the morning time, afternoon, and the evening time. So. We'll see exactly how uh, this all plays out, but um, as far as as far as the seven on seven tournament, you've got, of course, the uh, the top teams from from South Florida, like DefCon and uh, Florida Fires, South Florida Express, and uh, Raw, which is kind of the new wave team in south florida um you know what 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 are your what are your thoughts or predictions of how this weekend will play out i think people shouldn't expect commitments right i i think that's one thing people always talk about who we're gonna get out of this weekend i think this is a weekend of positive movement in the 2024 and 2025 classes you're gonna have hundreds of kids like you said over the course of three different visit periods on saturday and you're going to have some of the best teams in the country outside of South Florida, right? 24K in Tampa. Uh, you know, you get DEFCON Texas bringing some kids. You get, you know, teams out of California. You get teams out of just kids from all over. And, and, and the beautiful part about it is with the way 7-on-7 seven seven is working right now, you have so many kids from out of town playing for teams that are not from their home area. So, yeah. so South Florida is going to be – really like the beacon spot for recruiting uh, this weekend. And that's huge for Miami. They call it the junior elite prospect day, right? It, it's not just the junior elite prospect day. You're going to have kids across all classes. This is going to be a chance for Mario Cristobal and the rest of the staff to stamp themselves as the ultimate recruiters in these kids' recruitment. And it's a chance for these kids to see South Florida over a three-day period as well. One of the advantages of being in South Florida is it is absolutely beautiful. It is like 82 in South Florida right now. A lot of these kids are coming from places where it's not South Florida, right? If you live in Oklahoma, it's this is a complete different world. So we saw a lot of positive momentum with the 2023 class um, in this January to end of February time period. Um and, and I think it's going to happen once again. Um, we're going to start to see more of the targets uh, start to solidify in the 2024 class after this because we saw a lot of the 2023 kids come back several times for unofficial visits. We'll see guys start to talk about coming back uh, after the dead period uh, in, in March and then in April, and you'll start to see guys come back in June and July, and that's when we'll start to see who's going to end up in this 2024 class. Who wins this tournament though? Trillion boys is loaded, right? They, they got division one kids at every spot. Um, South Florida express again, division one kids at every spot. Raw, same thing. I think it, was, pretty it, solid. Was, it was Tucson turf. I believe that won last season. They won it last year. They won it last year, but South Florida express won OT seven at the end of the year in Vegas. 
to right. ultimately win the national championship. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough because because it's the first it's the first tournament of the year, right? And and you have so many kids that haven't even had a chance to play with each other yet. So there's gonna be that breaking of the ice. There's gonna be that chemistry, right? You're gonna see who's really been prepared. Which guys system works offensively comparative to just being able to put talent together. We saw Miami Immortals last year go into OT7 absolutely loaded. 20 plus division one kids on their roster and they ended up going like two and seven for the weekend. It's not all about talent. It's about chemistry. It's about, you know, having a, a, a culture in place. And, and I think that there's potential surprises. I don't think anybody would have picked Tucson turf to win that tournament last year, but if you were a betting man, it would be one of the probably top three trillion boys, uh, raw Miami, or, or South Florida Express, just because of the talent level that they have. Julian Sand for all, we've never seen him play seven on seven, but you and I both saw it with our own eyes that there's arm talent there. So if, if he gets acclimated to this game quickly, Raw could be a team to watch out for. Yeah, you kind of just never know with seven on seven. I mean, I asked the question, you know, just, you know, I'm not really – uh, going to uh, hold you to to your choice or what, whatever that really is. Um, I know in your heart who you, who you think is going to win. <laughs> hey, I'm not going to say that, but um, and and then you know the South Florida teams obviously you know are dear to me, so I always feel like the South Florida teams uh, generally are better than than others. I mean that may be a bias, but I, it it's you know just from growing up down here that is just something that I I will uh, stand on. But it's so. a proven bias. There's facts <laughs> behind it, right? Two yeah. of the top, two of the final four teams in the national championship last year were from South Florida, right? Right. You had you had like four teams from South Florida in that tournament of the top thirty-two teams in the country. There there is no there is no area. In the entire country, that includes California, that includes Texas, that includes Georgia, that includes Pennsylvania, any place that you can think of, there are no areas like South Florida where it comes to seven on seven, partially because our kids are so used to playing without pads, right? If, if, yeah. if they're in the street when they're kids, right, they're, they're playing football with each other, they're hitting each other, they're, they're being aggressive. I, I know you're not hitting in seven on seven, but they're used to this smash mouth style of football. They're yeah. used to the celebration. They're used to having fun playing football. They're not robots. And this is the ultimate street football type of game that yeah. they just seamlessly transition to. Yeah, I, I like the way you phrase that. It, it is street football. And I think, you know, I grew up playing football in the street, like literally. And, you know, when a car when a car is coming back, we just yell car and then, you know, you're back on and then you're, you're playing again. And um, it, it's it's an advantage that Miami has is that we can play this all year round. It's not like where it's snowing and in most of the country or some of the country right now here in January, where we're outside in shorts playing street football. So yeah, I think we do have an advantage when it comes to the climate and when it comes to just, you know, the speed factor and um, that that's where, seven on seven really is a factor when it comes to speed 
wide receivers, DBs. That's that that's what that's what Miami or South Florida or Florida period really just produces a high level of. And uh, quarterbacks are starting to get up to that level as well. Or I mean, someone can argue that you know quarterbacks never uh, never were really uh, a, a position that that South Florida didn't have. I mean, Geno Smith was just in the, in, in the playoffs. I mean, and, and he's a guy who obviously grew up down here. Uh, so, so yeah, it's going to be very exciting. I'm going to put my money on South Florida express just because that that's the team that, that won last season. I love JJ, Jojo, CJ chance, you know, those guys, I, I I'm, I really think those are kind of the top guys, but I wouldn't be surprised if any of these South Florida teams won it all as well. Uh, more on canescounty.com as far as uh, uh, the rosters and, uh, you know, just a preview that Frank is putting together. We'll continue to add players that will be visiting for Elite Prospect Day. It's going to be a huge weekend in South Florida when it comes to football and when it comes to the hurricanes, because, you know, last year they had a ton of guys who, who visited for prospect day who ended up with the class. So we are potentially going to see some guys that will be potentially be added to this 2024 class. Are there any potential guys that you see um, particularly in the 24 class? that um should be added to Miami's class. I, I mean you look at Shaman Madonna and I think that's where the class really should start, right? Zaquan Patterson, Jeremiah Smith, Josiah Trader, CJ Bailey, Avion Gals. I think those are all guys you can build your class off. Uh I, I wouldn't mind going after two quarterbacks in this class. So adding CJ with an out of state kid would be my ideal situation, especially with the lack of depth at quarterback right now. Davion Gauss, I, you just added two elite running backs. Why not uh, add a kid who has been a Miami Hurricane via Rod Mack since he was a little kid and, and would be part of that gel of that purple machine group that came out of the Miami Gardens Ravens that is super tight-knit. And if you can keep that group together, that means you get Jeremiah Smith. That means you get Josiah Trader. That means you get Chance Robinson. That means you get uh, like all it, it's just one domino after the other. So for me, it's really just that conglomerate of players that come from Shaman on Madonna that I think needs to be the base of this class. Um, and then you start building out from there. I think Charles Lester, who also plays for South Florida Express, is a guy that I would love to see. Turning the page on Cormani McLean would be really easy if you added the number one cornerback in 2024, right? And, right. and he's a guy that's a Florida guy. Um, he's now playing for South Florida Express, meaning he's going to be down here pretty frequently. So you're going to have a chance to talk to him, recruit him. Um, I, I just think that Chaminade is where we look uh, for, yeah. for the beginning of that 24 class. Yeah, so some other guys to just kind of think about is Ellis Robinson uh, is a player that I'm I'm really impressed with. Uh, he's just he could be the next to Cormani McLean. You talked about talked about that. I think he could possibly be that guy. Justin Williams, a linebacker out of Texas. I I thought he was uh, really impressive when I saw uh, kind of his tape there. Uh, if they can start to build a pipeline from Texas. I think that would be ideal. 
uh, for uh, Miami. And then when you talk about running backs, I mean, I mean, there's so many, but uh, I, I just want to point out that Jared Gibson should be a guy that they are uh, should, should look at. Anthony Carey is a guy that I like as well at the running back position at a Carrollwood day. Um, so Stacy Gage, uh, Stacy Gage, who just went to St. Just went to St. Thomas Aquinas, which is going to be a huge thing for Miami, right? Being able to get him close to home. He included Miami in his recent update of his top schools. I think that there could be momentum there. I've talked about Oklahoma still being the favorite for him. Ohio State still kind of lurking. Alabama recruiting him a little bit. But, again, he's a guy to watch and, and possibly a tandem with Jarrett Gibson. Really good relationship between those two from their time at IMG Academy, I wouldn't be surprised to see them try to play football together again at the college level. Yeah. Mazio Bennett is a, is a player that, uh, that we should watch mm-hmm. as well. Uh, he is, uh, a, a, an outstanding talent. Another one of those talents that are playing for raw out of South Carolina has a relationship with Jalil Skinner already at the U one of his uh, close friends. So I think he, he's definitely a player to watch at the wide receiver uh position uh once again there's a ton of ton of guys that we've listed already on the website canescounty.com and going through this list here we got the bron gatling uh, another wide receiver i i think is uh is talented and uh tavion swint i don't know if i if i mentioned him he is another one of those uh talents from Central Florida out of Osceola, Boo Carter, Marion Franklin, Luane McCoy. I mean, Miami needs to really kind of jump in the race for him because if, if not, this is gonna, he's probably going to be head, headed to Florida State. Corey Duff, that's a player that we saw at, at the Raw 7-on-7 seven seven out of New York. Uh, he was a pretty impressive talent, good size, already 6'4", 2024 uh, kid. Um, Nashawn Montgomery is a very talented route runner, a receiver. Dario Harper is an interesting player as well. Um, out of Columbus, he's 25, but uh, he's an interesting player to kind of watch. He's been kind of dominating in, in, in these tryouts, uh, that we've seen at Fire and Raw. So, he's definitely a player also, uh, to watch here. Uh, we already talked about Zaquan, CJ Ewald. Uh, let's see who else we got here. I think I think an interesting player in twenty five to watch is the number one quarterback in the class. It's Bryce Underwood. He's going to be coming down with his seven on seven team. Um, you know, and and I know it's a look ahead at twenty twenty five. Um, but but he's in such a high talent. We're seeing quarterbacks commit earlier and earlier, right? And um, if they can kind of get in a good page with him, uh, even without a strong offensive staff in place, I think that would pay off in a big way for Miami moving forward because, like we've talked about, the depth at quarterback is really bad right now. It is rough. It, you know, Emory Williams is a guy that we like. We think he has potential. But with no real quarterback and quarterback coach in place right now, how much development do we think he's going to get very early on? I think he's a super, super redshirt candidate the first year. Um, and, and I think that 
there's potential for a lot of these quarterbacks to reclass. We saw Colin Hurley do it out of 2025 to 2024 going to LSU. We saw Davi Belfort, who's probably going to end up at Texas A&M or Virginia Tech, reclass from 25 to 24. I wouldn't be surprised to see a Bryce Underwood potentially reclass if everything fell into place for him in his recruiting. So uh, that's another guy that they are going to have to recruit really hard because you don't know where his process is going to lead him. Absolutely. Uh, another another player I want to make sure I mention, once again, this is CanesCounty.com, part of the Rivals Network, Marcus Benjamin here at Frank Tucker, is the five-star Nicholas Harbor. That's probably the, our last Hail Mary <laughs> recruit here in the 2023 class. Miami still has a puncher's chance at this one, and I do say that you know, with some tact there uh, that, that he does have a puncher's chance uh, that Miami does. Uh, from what I hear there, they are still actively pursuing Nicholas Harbor right now. It's, it's seems as if it's a three team race between Miami, Maryland, uh, which is basically his hometown school. He talked, he talked about a lot of other players staying home, uh, in that area. So that is something that's intriguing to him. And then Oregon, Oregon is definitely a, a player here because uh, it's, it's the track aspect of it. I mean, he's got world-class speed and I think, uh, well, I know that he does want to be a wide receiver or tight end. That may be where, you know, Miami kind of, I, I guess maybe drop the ball in this situation because they were recruiting him as a defensive end. They had Jason Taylor basically kind of talk to him and recruit him. Um, but now it's, it's totally changed. So where he wants to score touchdowns and that is um, where Miami needs to kind of uh, push, I guess the narrative, so to speak, but Miami has the advantage of having a decent track program uh, and the medical field. He actually wants to be an orthopedic surgeon. And we all know Miami has one of the top medical programs in the country. So I think the combination of all three factors for him really favors Miami. But, you know, the thing is that they're kind of late jumping in the game. That usually doesn't work in recruiting. And... They haven't received official visit uh, from Nicholas Harbor as well. And time's ticking. We're already less than two weeks away from signing day. So I'm not, I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but I, I am saying that there is a chance. Yeah, he'd have to visit before February 1st because uh, that's when the dead period begins. So, And especially with the way coaches are traveling right, and, and visiting kids in other states, Maybe Mar Mario goes and does an in-home or something along those lines or visits at Archbishop Carroll um, in Maryland, right? But I, I just don't know if it's something that's going to happen, right? I think there's opportunity there. We talked about there being a lack of receivers, especially on the outside on this team. And, and he could essentially be that Colby Young of this class, right, where he comes in. There probably is going to have to be an adjustment period for him yeah. to play receiver full-time. And, and acclimate himself to a, a college route tree and, and the blocking scheme that is needed to be a college receiver. It's not just go run vertical and go get the ball off, off somebody's head top, right? But yeah. he's got a ton of natural ability. I think it knocks him down a peg that he's 
just playing receiver or a move tight end. Um, but you know, it's, he's a guy that I'd love to have in this class just to solidify that top five ranking that Miami has now dropped out of. But, um, you know, I, I don't foresee him. I don't foresee him in this class. I think it's not the first time Mario Cristobal has been in a race and maybe shocked people. Um, but yeah. this time around, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's just way too late in the game. He is just an outstanding talent. So you, you definitely kind of want to monitor him. And, and that's why they're going for him. Uh, he track speed, like, like, like we said for him to be the, uh, the size that he is, and I, be, I believe he's anywhere from around maybe six three to two sixty something, something in that range. Um, and for him to have that type of speed, he's only probably going to get faster because he's probably going to slim down and and you know get into that weight room. Um, so he is a game potential game changer. And like you said, yeah, it could take a while for him to develop into an actual receiver to run you know, routes or whatnot and develop reliable hands to catch the football. I mean, that is going to take some time, I would imagine. But definitely something to monitor because he's such a freak athlete. I had a chance to speak to him at the UA All-American game or or, uh, media day, and he comes off as a a really nice kid, uh, very genuine um, but uh, NIL is definitely a factor here. If Miami can 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 somehow, you know, score Harbor, uh, it's going to be because, you know, NIL played a factor. Yeah, and, and listen, it with the way the transfer portal works, right, you want to just leave off on a positive note. Because even if they don't get Nicholas Harbor, say they get close and things don't work out at Maryland or Oregon. There's maybe a chance to come back to Miami next year. So uh, I, I love the fact that they're pushing here because if they build that relationship, right, and Mario Cristobal has a solid season this year. Miami wins eight or nine games. It looks like the arrow is pointing up by the end of the season, especially coming off this 2023 class that was in a lot of ways elite. I wouldn't be surprised to see you know, a lot of prospects potentially revisit Miami out of the transfer portal. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So that's going to wrap it up for the Storm Tracker podcast. Until the next episode, uh, keep uh, following us on all social media platforms Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Facebook as well. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube and subscribe to us on the website, canescounty.com, part of the Rivals Network.